0: Welcome to Crosspoint. So glad that you're with us as we are kicking off the year together. First time that we've been able to gather like this. And, uh, and we're going to kick it off with a brand new series called Here and Now where we're talking about what it means to run your race. What it means to run your race with presence and with purpose and with focus. And we're going to talk about uh, how to run your race. We're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 12 will be the text we'll be looking at during this during this series. And if you go through the Bible, read through the scriptures, what you'll find is running your race is is one of the core metaphors for living a life of purpose, for living a life of faith. And I realize that when we start with a series like this and and with some images of running like that, I realize we all have a different relationship with running. There's some people who love to run. If you love to run, just humble brag and raise your hand. Just raise your hand. Yep, runners, we got some runners among us. How many of you would say you have an allergic reaction to running? It makes you feel short of breath and in need of rest, right? So we have, uh, I I get it because I'm not a natural runner. My wife, Ree, this is my beautiful wife, Ree. She is a. She she loves to run like she loves to run. She looks like a runner. She runs like a runner. She runs every single day. She gets up and she runs three to four miles. She does that every single day. Every single week um, on Saturday she does a long run like five to ten miles, and then on Sundays she walks. I like her Sunday workout routine. She walks on Sundays, but she's been doing. We've been married for 23 years, and she does this every day, every week every month, every year, for 23 years. Yo, I've been watching her do this for 23, it's exhausting. <laughs> really, it's, it's inspiring. Like, she inspires she inspires me more than, than anybody else that I know. And, and so it's inspiring for me to watch. In fact, the reason that I started running is because we started dating, and I was like, you know what, if I'm gonna hang out with her, like, I want to, I want to run with her so I can hang out with her, and I want her to think, that I'm a runner and so I, I remember I remember I remember the first time we ran and somebody gave me some some advice. They said, Kevin, they said the hardest part of running is lacing up your shoes. That's a lie. The hardest part is running with your girlfriend who runs like a gazelle when you run like a datsun. Like there's just, and I'm trying to keep up with her and I can't keep up with her and then I'm humiliated and I'm trying to impress her and I remember. But since then, since then, I've I've run I've run with her occasionally and I've run some races. I've run yeah, I've run a one mile race. I've run a 5K, I've run a 10K, I've run a half marathon, I've run, I ran a marathon. I, in fact, I ran two marathons in one day, my first and my last. I did, it was, uh, <laughs> not doing that again, but like, I've, I've run, and, and, and so I'm, when, we, when we're starting this series, we're having a conversation about, about running, we're going to be talking about what it means to run your race. Now, I'm not talking about physically running, also maybe somebody might be inspired to do that. We're talking about running your spiritual race. I, uh, my dad, I was thinking about this, I've never seen my dad run. Never seen my dad run. Uh, when he was 20 years old, he blew out his knee in the, in the Marines, and so he can't run. And I was thinking, I can't wait to heaven to see my dad run. And But I've never seen him run, but I've seen him run spiritually. I've seen my dad live with purpose and with meaning and chase after what matters most. So I think about what it means to run spiritually. I think about how the Bible talks about this in the Psalms, the Psalmist David. He says, I will run the path of your commands for you have set my heart free. Man, that's what I hope for you this year. Like my prayer over you is that you'd be able to run the race that God has for you and you'd be able to run freely that you wouldn't be entangled with the things of this world that can tangle us up but that even today would be the beginning of you running with freedom. Like, that that's just the, the banner over your life, that God has called you to freedom, and there is a race for you to run. There's a race. In Jeremiah, I think it's in the first chapter, it gives us this idea that when we were in our mother's womb, when you were in your mother's womb, there was calling and purpose attached to your life. You were made on purpose, and you were made for a purpose. I remember when I was a student pastor, a young, uh, early on in ministry, a young lady came up, and she was a freshman, and she came up in tears, and she said that her parents had just told her that she was an accident. and She was just, just weeping. And I was new to ministry, and so I know that it was God who helped me. But I looked at her and I said, "You are not an accident. Say God wants you here so bad, He wanted you on the planet so bad that He had to sneak you in." <laughs> and it reminded me of something that I read from Rick Warren, a pastor and author, and he said this: Long before you were conceived by your parents, you were conceived in the mind of God. He thought of you first. It is not fate, nor chance, nor luck, nor coincidence that you were breathing at this very moment. You were alive because God wanted to create you. The Bible says, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. God has a purpose for your life. You have been created on purpose and for a purpose. And if you want to know why you were here, seek the one who made you. If you want to know your purpose, seek your maker, seek God. He is the one who, who, who made you. And so every race that I've run, a, a few, every race that I've run has had a starting line and has had a finish line and it's had a course that was marked out, that God has marked out a course for you. And Jesus came to make sure that we knew that you is never too late to get in on your purpose with God. And no matter how far you've gone, nobody is too far gone to get in on God's purpose. It's called the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is now. You can get in on his purpose for your life. Jesus wants you to know that you are loved by God far more than you can imagine. And that there is forgiveness for all of your sin, for all that you've done wrong, for all of your past. And that there is hope and there is strength and there is power for you to run the spiritual race. For you to run the race of purpose that God has for you. For you to live in freedom. So what keeps us from running our race? I think for some people what keeps them from running their race is trying. It's trying. Let me show you a text, this is, uh, this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. It says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. What Paul is saying here, he's saying, when you run a race, you don't just try, you train. Nobody shows up at the Olympics and they're like, man, what do you think about this? I don't know. I'm just going to give it a try. People who, no athlete would think about just trying. Athletes know if you want to succeed, you have to train. And what you get on the field has everything to do with how you train off the field. And so many of us go through life, and the reason that we're stuck is we're trying in the areas of life that matter most. We just show up and we try. We try in parenting, we try in marriage, and we try... In our, in, our, in our work and we, we try in our faith, when my prayer is that this would be a year of training, that we would move from just, from just trying to training. I talk to some people and I'm like, how long have you been a Christian? And they say 20 years, which is not true because there are some people who say that they've been a Christian 20 years when actually they've been a Christian one year and repeated it 19 times. That's the difference between trying and training. It requires training if you want to grow. It requires training if you want. And what Paul is saying, he's saying, we're running this race. And if we want to win spiritually, if we want to win in this, in this race that God has called us to, we have to move from trying to training. Another thing that holds us back, that can hold us back. And I'll just say that there is a cost to discipleship. There's a cost to discipleship. It'll cost you time. It'll cost you energy. It'll cost you uh, convenience, it'll cost you comfort, but there's a cost to non-discipleship too. The cost to non-discipleship, it'll cost you abiding peace, it'll cost you enduring joy, it'll cost you a deep-seated faith, it'll cost you victory over temptation. There's a cost to training, but there's a cost to not training too. Paul says we wanna move from trying to training. In our spiritual lives, and then if we're running this race, what keeps us from running the race that God has for us? Well, sometimes it's just trying. Sometimes it's our past. Listen to what Paul writes. This is a good word. In Philippians 3.12, he says, not that I've already obtained all this or that I've already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. We we move in the direction of our focus. We move in the direction of where where we're looking, what we're focused on. And Paul is saying, I can't run the race and look over my shoulder. Scripture says the righteous are as bold as a lion, the wicked flee, although no one's pursuing. What it's saying is saying, if we're constantly looking over our shoulder, we can't live in the purpose and calling that God has for us. And so God wants to bring freedom to our lives. There is freedom. There is forgiveness in Jesus in that we don't have to continually look over our past. There is freedom from our regrets. There is freedom from the things that maybe we're still holding on to. We can't build into the new if we're holding on the past. You can't build into a new relationship. You can't build a marriage and look up old flames on Facebook. You can't build into a new calling and romanticize the past. We have to let go of what's behind us to press on toward what's ahead. If we want to run our race, we have to look forward forgetting what's behind and pressing on toward what's ahead. Let me ask you a question, what do you need to leave in 2023? What do you need to let go of and leave in 2023? Maybe it's, maybe it's some resentment, maybe it's some bitterness, maybe it's a fear of what other people think or pleasing other people. What do you need to let go of? to run your race and then the third thing that tends to keep us from running our race and we're going to spend the majority of our time today talking about and this is one I think that affects us all it's <clears throat> it's distraction it's distraction because we live in an age of distraction hold on let me check this for a second we live in an age of distraction, constantly distracted. And if we want to run, when you're, I went to the New York, Mar- New York Marathon, um, not to run it, just to watch, but I went to see and support a friend, and I didn't see any runners out there with their phones doing like this. Because when you're running, you can't look at your phone, you have to, you have to focus, you have to focus. You have to focus on where you're stepping. You have to focus on your, on your pace. You have to focus on your, on your breathing. You're like, what's that, that sound? Like a walrus in labor. Oh, that's me breathing. You know, and it's like in that moment, you're focusing on your breathing. You're focusing on your pace. You're, you're focusing on where you're headed. And if you get distracted in a race, it can cost you. I don't know if you remember back in 2017, there was the Venice Marathons, big deal. People train all year to go run that race. People come in from all over the world to, to run that race. And that year, in that marathon, the lead pack had separated from everybody else and they were on ahead. And they were following some motorcycles and one of the motorcycles um, took a wrong turn. So the lead pack follows this motorcycle, takes a wrong turn, and they lost precious time that they couldn't make up. And some, it was the first time that an Italian, um, local Italian actually won the Venice Marathon in a long time, I think in 22 years. Um, but because some people got distracted and took a wrong turn, I started to think about that. Oh man, what came to mind is Galatians chapter five, verse seven it says, you were running the race so well, who has held you back from following the truth? And it's so, nobody sets out in a race to get distracted and to take a long turn. Nobody sets out to get lost in life. Nobody sets out to lose their way. Nobody sets out to waste precious time. But it happens because of who we're listening to. What voices are you listening to? What, what voices are you following? It matters the podcast we listen to. It matters the books that we read. It matters the articles that we take in. It matters the TikToks that we consume. It matters the YouTube videos that we subscribe to. It matters because we're all being shaped by something. We're all being discipled. The question is, who is discipling us? Who is leading us? Who are the voices of truth that we're running with? Paul says, be careful what we take in because distractions, it can happen subtly, but it will cost us. In Hebrews chapter two, verse one, it says, we must pay most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. You know, the thing about drifting, all you have to do to drift is nothing. Like all you got to do to drift is nothing. Like drifting is easy. Running the race is hard. And in Hebrews, if you've got a Bible, you can turn with me to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews is going to be the book that we're going to be looking at during this series because Hebrews was this book that was written and it was written to help people to focus, to, to move forward together. This book of Hebrews, we don't know exactly who the author was. It could have been Paul. It could have been Apollos. It could have been Barnabas. Um, could have been Luke. We don't know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews, but we know why the book of Hebrews was written. It was written to Jewish Christians. It was written to, 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 to the Hebrew people, to Jewish people who had followed Christ, and it was written to them to encourage them, but because of their faith in Jesus, because they were associated with Jesus, there were many of them who were being imprisoned. They were, they were going through suffering and persecution, and they were being tempted to give up on the faith. The enemy was tempting them to give up on the faith. And so the person who's writing this book, they've got this understanding of the Old Testament and so they're bringing this understanding to light and they're saying, Jesus is the prize. Don't give up on Jesus. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything that you, there's honor over the story of God and where God has brought us in this Old Testament, in this Old Covenant, but Jesus is better. He is greater than the angels. He's superior to Moses and the law. He's better than the promised land. He is our promised land. He is the ultimate high priest. He is our eternal king. He is the perfect sacrifice. Don't give up on Jesus. Keep pursuing Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus, everybody, all eyes on Jesus. Don't give up on your faith. He is the fulfillment of everything that we've longed for. And in the world where we're constantly distracted to go other ways and maybe even tempted to go back, he's saying, keep pressing forward. Pay attention so that you don't drift. Because Jesus is so much better. And so we're going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 11 is great. I mean, it's the, it's, they call it the hall of faith. It's all these heroes of the faith. And it tells us that they show us that, that, faith, that faith is, is this, this belief and this understanding and this trusting in God. And they show us that God does not abandon us when we go through suffering. We go through hard times. And then in Hebrews chapter 12 he gives this great word and we're just going we're going to we're going to keep this at the center we're just going to key in on this we're going to lock in on this over the next 4 weeks what a way to start the year weary and lose heart. Man, what a great few verses. I mean, just find somewhere and get that tattooed. I was sitting, I was sitting with this young guy, high school guy, a friend of mine a friend of my son's, and I could tell he was kind of struggling and things. So I went to meet with him to encourage him, and I encouraged him with these verses. I read this was back, this was back in uh, back in October, November, and I encouraged him with these verses. And he goes, "You mean like this?" Pulls it up, and he's got Hebrews 12 at it right there. That's when I decided that this was going to be our series. So. I went, like, man, did we would keep this, and so you can get a tat- tattoo if you want to, um, but um, unless you're underage, and you need to talk to your parents, but, but um, right here, I thought, you know what, we'll, we're going we're gonna to keep the verses in front of us this way, and so the team put together this card, that you were handed when you came in at all of our campuses as a way for us to say, right here and right now, I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus, this scripture, we're going to walk through it, we're going to, I mean, it's a gold mine, and we're going, to, uh, we're going to look at it together over the next four weeks. But today, I want us to talk about um, distractions, distractions. He speaks to us, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. That word hinders means weighs you down. It weighs you down. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a sin. There's kind of two different groups. Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Two different groups of distractions. The things that weigh you down. What would you think if I showed up for the Nashville half marathon like this? With a bistro table. You're like, what are you doing? You're like, you maybe see me, you're like, that's, that's Pastor Kevin over there. And you go over there and I'm standing here like this. You're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm ready to run. Well, why do you have that? Because I always run with a bistro table. I mean, you know, like, if you saw, the- is it a sin for me to run the Nashville half with a bistro table? No, it's not a sin. Is it stupid? Yes. <laughs> like, it's, not, it's not wise to run with a bistro table. You don't, you don't see somebody running down to my with a bistro table. Like, it's just, it's just not something that people do. Why? Because it's not smart. But we do this. Like we do this, we carry stuff all the time. It's just not smart. It's not wise. And I think sometimes we don't even realize what we're carrying. The things that hinder us, the things that weigh us down, like a toxic relationship, or some consumer debt that it's time to retire, or addiction to technology, or addiction to entertainment, or addiction to to video games, or addiction to binge-watching shows, or or a hobby, it's not a sin, but it's just kind of taken over our lives. See, the things that weigh us down don't necessarily have to be a sin. They can be good things that becomes an ultimate thing. And when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it becomes a bad thing because it keeps us from the most important things. And so I'm gonna set this down because I'm getting a cramp. I wonder, what are the things that God would have you set down today? Because it's wearing you out. And you just don't realize it. We don't realize it. And the, the enemy, if he can't get us in, if he can't get us in depravity and sin, and he can't get us in disunity with others, he's fine to settle for us being distracted. Set down the things that that weigh you down. How much how much does this thing weigh? I looked it up. Apple will tell us that these things, this this thing weighs five ounces. But I was thinking about, you know, it weighs a lot more than that. For many of us, have you ever lost one of these? Like it becomes a uh, I mean, they have, a, they have a way for you to go find my phone, which gives you your own personal Amber Alert to help you find, like, when, when, when you lose it will shut your life down. I mean, and, and I, I don't know how to function, like, many of us, we don't know how to function without, like, there's just so much I don't know. If somebody came to me with a gun and said, tell me your kid's phone numbers, I'm going to shoot you. I'd be like, dude, you're going to have to shoot me, because I got, I got no idea. Like, there. are I don't know, There's so, because so much of our lives are on these devices, calendar and camera and workouts and work and books and sermons and credit cards and maps and news and weather and email and Slack and, and shopping. I mean, all of this is on this little device, five ounces in my pocket. For many of us, it's the first thing we go to in the morning, and it's the last thing that we go to at night doing some research, and they were saying the average iPhone user spends five hours and 42 minutes a day. If you add that up, that's almost 40 hours a week. That's a full-time job that we can spend on these. So what I want you to do is get out your phone, and I want you to show the person next to you your screen time. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm not... But what is it about us that in that moment you're like, no, I don't, why? Because we probably all spend a little more time on the, or a lot more time on these devices than we care to admit. How many of you would say, I might be a little addicted to my phone? Just raise your hand. For those of you that don't have your hand up, denial is the first sign of addiction, right? (laughs) We all probably struggle with this just a little bit. But what they tell us, neuroscience says, it's not just our phones that we're addicted to. Really, what we're addicted to is distraction. Really, what we're addicted to is distraction. And these things, they, a distraction, is this distraction is anything that diverts our attention from what's most important and most significant. And man, these things distract us from the people that are most important, the relationships that are most important. During the Christmas message, I shared with you that I have had regret over the past 10 years. So much of my regret is about how much attention I gave a device and didn't give the people that I love the most. And it's, and it's moments that I can't get back. And these things are a distraction for what matters most. The beautiful moments that God has given, the glory of creation, the conversations, and the relationship, how much are we missing because we're distracted by a device? These things distract us from what's going on around us but also from what's going on inside of us. Have you ever been having a conversation with somebody And you're talking, and maybe it gets a little uncomfortable, or maybe you're working through a conflict, or maybe, and then they just pull out their phone. Like, what just happened? Like, in that moment, like, you're like, I thought we were having a conversation, but it got a little uncomfortable, and they start, if you you have teenagers, maybe you know what I'm talking about. Like, there's, or you've been having a conversation with somebody, and they just pull out their phone, and you're like, oh, oh, that's a distraction. And it's easy to see in other people, but it's hard to see within ourselves. See, what can happen is we can have feelings that we don't want to deal with and we choose a distraction. My friend, um, Chip Dodd, is counselor therapist and he wrote a book called Voice of the Heart. And in that book, he says we have eight primary feelings. Let me give them to you. Eight primary feelings that we all carry. Hurt, lonely, sad, anger, fear, shame, guilt, and glad. He said these are the, we're going to leave them up there on the screen for a little bit. Maybe there might be somebody that you, want to, um, that you want to write these down. Eight primary feelings. And like there are three primary colors and all the other colors are a blend and blur of those or a mix of those colors. Our feelings are a mixture of these things that we all feel. And these feelings have been given to us by God. They are a gift from God to be useful, helpful for us to be able to connect with God, connect with ourselves, connect with others. These feelings are a gift from God. And so Chip says this way, he says, feel the feelings, tell yourself the truth, and embrace life on life's terms. Feel the feelings, then tell yourself the truth of God's word, then embrace life on life's terms. But what happens is because many of those feelings can be uncomfortable. You might have been noticing that you're like, Glad was the only one that looks like, you know, like all the other ones are, are tough. But we live in a tragic world filled with uncertainty, And those feelings make us aware of our need for God, connection to God, and our need for others, connection with others. And I was talking with Chip. I was like, man, I feel, I feel anxious. He said, anxiety is not a feeling. He said, anxiety is a cocktail of other feelings. You're not sure what other feelings you have. And I learned that I'm not real good at knowing what feelings I have. But I call it anxiety rather than process through. And what happens is I can feel feelings that I don't like, and I can go, nope, and go to my phone rather than deal with those feelings. So started a practice in my life of when I feel that sense of anxiety, I just begin to process. I pull away and I process with the Lord. Lord what am I feeling right now? I ask God. I ask my heart. What are you feeling? And it takes some time and it takes some space and it takes no devices to be able to go, man, I've got some loneliness. Because sometimes leadership can be lonely. I've got some, I've got some, um, some fear about the future. I've got some sadness about some things that hasn't turned out like I thought it would. And so I take those feelings to God and I talk them out with God. I bring those feelings in a conversation with with Ree. I bring those feelings in a conversation with a close friend and those feelings are a tool to help connect with God and connect with others. But you know what's easier than that process? Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, distraction. And I wonder, is this thing running our life? Or is it keep us from actually running our race and living our life the way God has created us? When Rhea and I would go on a date sometimes, and uh, we, we, you know, Friday's date day, and, uh, and so we go, on a, we go on a date. Occasionally, if we're going somewhere nice, she'll hand me a, uh, a necklace, like a little gold necklace, and she'll give it to me, and she'll be like, it's knotted up, and I have one job is to untangle that necklace. And so I'm working, you know, I'm trying to untangle that necklace. And, and, and at some point I want to give up. And Can we just get a new necklace? Um, but if I'll work long enough, eventually I can unknot. Its value is the same, whether it's knotted up or whether it's not. But its usefulness has everything to do with it being untangled. And in those moments, of focus, in those moments of device-free processing with God, we're putting our, our heart in the hands of our Heavenly Father, saying, you just untangle me? Because our Father's saying, I just want to untangle you. I want to untangle you so you can run the race. And what happens is when we, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, like this text says, when we fix our eyes on Jesus... Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That's how you're going, well, how do I know the race that God has for me to run? Fix your eyes on Jesus. He is your maker, and he is the one who made the race. He is the one who who pioneered, who's gone before. He's the only one who's done it perfectly, so he's the pioneer and the perfecter, and Jesus will reveal to you the next step in your race. But we find our race by fixing our eyes on Jesus. You're like, well, how do I fix my eyes on Jesus? I can't see Jesus. It'd be a lot easier if I could just see Jesus, then i just fix my eyes on Jesus. How do I fix my eyes on Jesus? But we know how to fix our eyes. We know how to fix our eyes on the news, and we know how to fix our eyes on Instagram. We know how to fix our eyes on Snapchat and on TikTok, on social media and on the stock market. We know how to fix our eyes on a bank account and fix our eyes on work and fix our eyes on politics. Fix our eyes on, on reality shows and celebrities. We know how to fix our eyes. Because where we're focused is where we're fixing our eyes. And so we look to Jesus, we prize Jesus, we value Jesus, we love Jesus, we devote ourselves afresh to Jesus, we look to him in relationship. This is not religious activity. This is a relationship with the living God. We fix our eyes on Jesus, which means we have to train ourselves in a ruthless elimination of, of distraction. In our life, we have, to, we have to set aside the distractions, and it's going to require training. We can't just try. There are some of those brilliant scientists in the world that are working to develop apps to gain your attention and keep your attention. You're working against people with their doctorate, and I'm working against people with their doctorate from Stanford, who are designing apps to keep our t- so we can't just try, we have to train. And our friend, Mike Kelsey, he spoke here last summer, has a great training plan and regimen to help us with this. And I want to invite you into it this year. Here's what he says. He said, a social media break, one day a week, one week a month, one month a year. A social media break, one day a week, your Sabbath, taking a break from it, one week a month and one month a year. Re is a runner because she runs every day, every week, every month of the year. If we want to run our race spiritually, it's going to require not just trying, but training. I'm going to take the one month of Awaken where the month of February we fast and pray. I want to invite you into, maybe for you, that could be the one month a year. What would it look like one day a week, one week a month? One week. And maybe you hear that and you're like, there's no way I could do that. Maybe that's letting us know how much of a grip this has on our life. Tim Keller says, an idol is anything in our life that we don't think we could live without. He says, it's it's anything that's more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Anything that drives your life. Man, that we would break free Anything that's mastering us, anything that has a grip on us, so that we can run our race. To throw off the things that entangle us. They asked this old Scottish preacher, they're like, How do we do this? And any question needs to go to a good old Scottish preacher. And uh, how do we throw off the things that entangles? Somebody asked him, How is the human heart freed from its love for the world and the sin that entangles? He said, Two ways. He said, one way is to show that the world is not worthy of our affection and will let us down in the end. Isn't that good? Second way, he said, is to allow our hearts to see how glorious and beautiful and worthy and good and majestic and lovely God is and gaze on him. You know what he called this? He said, this is the expulsive power of a greater affection. People don't talk like that anymore. The expulsive power of a greater affection. It's truths like this that write songs. Maybe you know. The story is in the early 1900s there was a woman named Helen Lemmel. She was a talented musician and songwriter. One of the most talented of her day and then she suffered a tragic illness that caused her to be blind or she lost her vision. And because of that, her husband left her because he was unwilling to care for a blind wife. And in the loneliness and in the hurt and the pain that she experienced, somebody was reading to her a pamphlet from a young missionary named Lilius Trotter, and the pamphlet was called Focused. And she heard these words, so then turn your eyes upon him, look full in his face, and you will find that the things of earth will acquire a strange new dimness. She says she heard those words in that moment in her soul, that the song came to life. And she heard it with melody and with rhyme, and it's become one of the greatest, most beloved hymns of all time. From a woman who lost her sight, she reminds us to turn our eyes to Jesus. So what I want to invite you into is a moment to eliminate all distractions in this moment, and a moment to to turn your eyes upon Jesus and to ask him three questions, three questions as we begin this year. My prayer is that you would experience the expulsive power of a greater affection and that through this song, this song would be a hymn for this moment, but it'd also be a song for every day, for every week, for every month this year. A reminder to turn your eyes upon Jesus. So before we sing this, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's sing. What are the things that have me tangled? And what does it look like to to let them go? Father, would you untangle my heart? Maybe it's bitterness or resentment, or habits, or addiction, patterns that just aren't serving you well. Just go ahead and whisper a prayer Prayer of confession. Prayer of repentance. A prayer of returning. song. your Father in heaven, God, what are you calling me to this year? What is the race that you're calling me to run? What's the, what's the next run that you're calling me to, the next steps that you're calling me to take? Maybe it's to work on a relationship, to train when it comes to an area that matters most. go back and to say you're sorry, to take a risk and to begin the thing that he's put in your heart to start, to step out of your comfort zone so you can begin to grow, so you can run the race that he has for you. you to stand, and we're going to sing this song, this chorus, two more times, and I want us to sing it over our life, over our families, over our church,
1: and over our city. i
0: prayer is in the morning before you reach for a device that that song would be on your heart and your mind. That we would turn our eyes toward him that we would eliminate distractions so we can run the race that he has for us. And next week, we'll pick up week two, talk about the things that hinder us, that hold us back. And uh, we're going to talk about comparison and, uh, and how we deal with the comparison in our lives so that we can run the race that God has for us. We'll see you back next week. You guys have a great weekend, Lord.